Well, hey, everyone, and welcome. It's good to see everybody. Can we just take a moment and welcome everyone at all of our campuses? Let's just let everybody know we're glad you're here. Everyone at Edgewood, Abingdon, Aberdeen, Mountain Road, online, everybody, glad you're here. Whoever you are and uh, wherever you're coming to us from and wherever you kind of find yourself at this moment with God or in life, you're welcome here and you're in the right place. And it's especially a good time because we're beginning a new series, as has been mentioned. And it's called You Asked For It because let's be honest, we all have questions, right? You got questions, I got questions. What we don't always have is like a place we feel safe going to among trusted friends to really get at what we would consider like the right answer or a good answer, a healthy, God-honoring answer. And um, so that's what we're doing over the next few weeks is we're fielding all kinds of questions and you can still submit questions. We're going to do our best to answer some in the weekend services and some in other ways on social, kind of pay attention that way. But we're not going to... What we're not going to do is try to pretend like a bunch of smarty pants, like we got all the answers, but we do just want to kind of model for one another what it looks like to really trust God's Word, to really rely on God's wisdom, to, to really turn to God's people for godly counsel, counsel, to get at what would be considered you know, a wise response to, to questions that, frankly, you know, are tricky. And that everyone seems to have an answer for, but none that sound really satisfying. So that's kind of, uh, kind of where we're going. You know, the, the, the Bible says in James chapter 1, 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, just think how many people answer that, would finish that sentence. If you lack wisdom, well, here's what you should do. What the Bible says is if you lack wisdom, you should ask God. And it reminds us that God is generous in his whole disposition. He doesn't like, I'm smart, you're not. He's like, I want to share my wisdom. And that's the spirit we're coming to this with. It's like, okay, God, you know, show us. Like before we go to the Google, before we, you know, look up something on Wikipedia or ask a friend or whatever, we're going to say, well, what would Jesus think about this? What would God want for me in this, in this way at this time? That's, that's wisdom. Second Corinthians 10 kind of, I think, speaks to that spirit when it says, it says, take captive every thought and, and make it obedient to Christ. Can you picture that for what that would be in your life? To take all of your thoughts and like say, okay, I'm going to bring them under Jesus and, and let him really, because our thoughts are obedient to someone. Instead of saying, I'm just going to let my thoughts run wherever they want to go or be led by the latest influencers or philosophies or my mood at the time, I'm going to try to make it obedient to, to what Christ would say to shape me. And that's what it means to live really a, as a Christian. That's what wisdom would look like. Proverbs 1.5 says, let the wise listen. And add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. So maybe that can be something you're willing to do. I think there's a mistake that a lot of people make today. And that is they think if you're wise, then you don't need any more input. You're already smart. And everyone I read on social media is apparently already smart. Because we have all the answers. And they're, they're, they already know everything. But what the Bible actually says is that if you're the wise person is one who keeps listening. And learning and adding to their, their godly guidance in life. So today, uh, we're going to dive in with our first question. And the question 
that we're going to try to tackle is, you know, is counseling okay? Like if I'm a Christian, can I, should I go to a counselor? If I did, what, what kinds of things would they tell me? Okay, that's a fair question. And so I'm not a counselor per se. So I, we went out and dug up a real live Christian counselor and we dragged him in here and we're just going to throw a bunch of questions at him and try to just get to the bottom of this. All right, now so many that we could have turned to in this moment, but we turned to a friend of mine I've known for over 20 years. His name is Nick Cox. Nick grew up here at Mountain and he came to really know Jesus here at Mountain he uh, went off to, after serving here a while, he went off to college and then went to the same seminary I went to in, in, uh, called Emmanuel Christian Seminary. He has the same degree I have. And then he came home and he, and he, and he went off to another uh, degree and, and has a degree in marriage and family therapy. He was on staff as a pastor for about seven years down the road at our sister church, uh, Community Christian Church in White Marsh. And uh, today, for the last nine years, has served with uh, family and couple therapy, a place where he provides counseling. Nick and his wife, Rebecca, have three kids, Knight and Clementine and Primrose. Let's give a huge mountain warm welcome to our counselor in the house, Nick Cox. Come on, Nick. Hey, buddy. Hey, good to be here. Yes, it is. It's good to have you here. Um, and it's kind of a welcome home in a way. It is. I, I, last time we were in this exact spot, there was all kinds of forests here. And I'm pretty yeah. sure I was shooting with a paintball. I think that's... Yes. So, yeah, what, we played paintball right on the spot where we're recording right now. And uh, Nick was one of those guys that took it really seriously, if you know what I mean. That's true. And lit me up with paintballs. I still that have welts true. on my back from you. We played softball together for a long time on the mountain team. I appreciate you letting me uh, play <laughs> on the team. Again, you took that a lot more seriously than I did. Neither of us lit up anything on that. No, no, we were not asked to the All-Star game. But uh, that was some good times. And uh, Nick, maybe, uh, maybe just tell us a little more about yourself. Sure. And so we can get to know you a little bit before we dive into some of these questions. Sure. So I grew up in Hamilton, just a little bit down the road from where we're sitting right now. And I grew up Catholic. And by that, for our family, that meant that we went to Catholic church every now and then. I think looking back on it, specifically when my brother and I were not behaving really well, my mom would like drag us into church and CCD. Get a little church fix. Right. But the reality was it wasn't very personal to me. It wasn't it didn't really matter that much if we're being honest. And my uncle at that time attended Mountain and was having conversations with my father about kind of faith and God and leading the family. And so my dad brought us up to Mountain. And right around when I was in middle school is when we started attending, it really kind of enlivened me. I mean, I was really first kind of came to faith in God, really started learning about Jesus in a very personal kind of way. Uh, went to uh, University of Maryland for my undergrad, so go Terps. Not much to go for right now, but go anyhow. Uh, uh, my degree is in neurobiology and physiology, which is just a really fancy way of saying pre-med. My, my goal is to go to medical school. Uh, and when back, I graduated, back when you mistakenly thought you were going to be a doctor. That, is, that was the plan that changed. Plans have a way of changing sometimes. And when I graduated, I was really just kind of burnt out of school and I needed a little bit of a pause. And what I did was I volunteered here at Mountain with uh, David Robinson, who was the student minister at the time. And Helped out with the high schoolers, helped put together uh, some college-age stuff, and just fell in love with it. It was one of those moments that just kind of 
fits and through some conversations went to Tennessee, uh, got my Masters of Divinity. I also met my wife there that wasn't on the brochure, but that was also a, a benefit of going to Tennessee. Um, came back uh, to Maryland right when Community Christian Church was launching, so I was on staff there for about seven years. Um, in the midst of that time, one of the responsibilities I had was meeting with people, talking with couples, talking with individuals, and I realized relatively quickly I wasn't prepared for this. Like, I, I needed to be more equipped. I wanted to do a really good job. People were being vulnerable enough in those moments, and I wanted to do it well. So I went up to Messiah College, and I had, got a second master's degree in marriage and family therapy, and I've uh, been doing that for about 12 years, and I've owned my own practice up in Forest Hill for about the last nine years. And I am one of those lucky few people who can genuinely say that they love their work. Love my work. I, I genuinely, like, I feel very passionate about the work I do. Yeah, I can tell, and you'll, you'll be able to see that as we go. A lot of it is because it, you are, you're helping people so much, and it's ministry. It is. Right? I mean, it's like, I used to be in the ministry at a church, you know, but now I'm a, it's still ministry, isn't it? When I wrestled with that for a while, I think, when I, when I went from full-time in a church to not being full-time in a church, and one of the ways I, I kind of describe it is in, in the Bible there's one point where, where Paul's talking about like, you know, some people plant the seeds and some people water the seeds and some people harvest the seeds. And I think my job is pulling rocks from the garden. Like I think, I think my job to some degree is to try to make sure people are as healthy as possible so that they could even be in a place of growth when it comes to their relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Let's, let's pull some rocks from the garden together here uh, to help uh, some of us flourish and maybe get over some some things that might stand in the way of where we are now and where God wants us to be. So let's start with this first question. Um, you know, through, through the, the COVID era that we've just all kind of uh, pulled ourselves through here, um, we hear a lot more about mental health than we ever used to. And I think a lot of us are, are keenly aware of how, how we're dealing with things ourselves and how others maybe are. And this question of, you know, Maybe I should see someone. You know, it seems like it comes up more than it ever used to. And yet there's still some baked in kind of like questions like, is that, is that okay? Should I? Or, or so let's just start right there. You know, is it okay for a Christian? Uh, gee, I, I wonder what you're going to say. But, uh, but, but is it okay for a Christian? Let's unpack that for us a little bit. For a Christian to go to a counselor. Like, I mean, because I'm supposed to have faith in God, right, to get through my problems, right? So what, is seeing a counselor kind of against that? Or what do you think? Sure. And, and I think it's a real question, right? I don't think it's hypothetical. And yes, I am biased in my answer, I believe. But what I think happens for a lot of people is they genuinely want to be healthy. I think people want to have healthy lives. I think they want to have thriving marriages. I think they want to be great parents. I think people desire that for their lives. But what happens sometimes is is they're kind of stuck in a place where they can't get there. Mm. It's like a car stuck in the mud, and you push the pedal, and the wheels spin, and mud flies, and you're just not getting anywhere. And mm. the reality is, is if there's any area of our life that is not where we believe God has called us to be, is not as healthy as it needs to be, we need to respond. And the reality is, is that when it comes to our mental and emotional health, we tend to treat it and think about it differently than almost any other area of our lives. If, if I wanted to improve my fitness... Yeah, I might go to the gym by myself, but I might also hire a personal trainer or I might get a dietitian to just make sure I'm doing it right, make sure I'm doing it effectively, make sure I'm taking some really great steps. If, if my grades aren't what I want them to be or if I'm struggling in some area academically, I'd hire a tutor. Yeah. I'd get someone to help me with it. If my car breaks, 
doesn't make a lot of sense for me to sit there and hit it with a wrench if I don't know what I'm doing. No, I take it to a mechanic because it is someone that is trained and has experience and hopefully has developed trust to be able to help us move in a positive direction. I think the mental and emotional part of the world is no different from that. We just sometimes treat it like it is. Mm, okay. So and I, I think I can definitely say not only my own experience, but what I see among mountain people and other friends in Christian circles that um, going to see a counselor to get some help, to get, I love your word, get unstuck, is, is way more uh, accepted, normalized, and yet, don't you think there's like still a little bit of a stigma, like a little bit of a, uh, a wink, wink, like, you know, oh, you saw a counselor, well, you know, you obviously, you know, it's, it's if you need that, you know. You know, if you're a little bit weak, maybe you can go, you know, see what I'm saying? Absolutely. It's definitely there, isn't it? The reality is, is there is a stigma, and it is a stigma that we attach to some of the mental and emotional dynamics of life that we don't tend to attach to other areas. Mm -hmm. And we tend to treat anyone who needs help in that realm of life as a sort of weakness, that it is, that if only you were a bit stronger, if only you laced up your boots a little bit harder, or only if you tried a little bit, then you wouldn't need that. Uh, but the reality is, is that what that leads many to us to take the step of pretending like we're just okay. Yeah. Pretending like we're fine, pretending like everything's good, pretending like we're moving forward, all the while when we really might need some resources and really might need some help. One of the things that I think counselors can really offer people at times is a perspective that is more distant. The reality is, is it's hard to see the forest for the trees when you're in the forest. Right. All you see is trees. Right? I do not counsel my wife. <laughs> Right? And actually, every now and then she'll be like, turn off your counselor voice. Right? Like, a, right? like yeah, like, because I'm in a relationship with my life. I am in my family. I'm not in the position to maybe have the perspective I need to be able to see what's working well and what's not. So that outside voice, that outside wisdom and counselor can really be helpful. It, it's essential because what happens is, is that there are people who struggle when it comes to deciding on some of those kinds of next steps in their life, making really great decisions. Mm -hmm. This is just trying to gain a broader perspective of how to do that well. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's another kind of related question here about like the whole science and faith thing, because I think that's another thing that trips some of us up is like we, we, we've been told a kind of version of faith that says, well, if you really love Jesus enough and you can pray your way through this, like like that counseling seems like it's kind of the sciencey side of thing. And, and I'm supposed to just kind of faith my way through this. Do you see? And yeah. help us resolve that yep. tension. For sure. And, and I do think that there is this dynamic that can sometimes develop where the idea is either I did it or God did it. Right. Yeah. And then sometimes the idea is, is that like those things are mutually exclusive. But when you read through the Bible, when you engage in the stories of the Bible, what you see over and over and over again is that God loves working through and in people. Right. Right. So God's people are, are enslaved in Egypt. And we could probably envision him just snapping his finger and they're free. But no, he uses Moses mm -hmm. to, to move them into freedom. Right. right? Paul is teaching people and writing to people to try to instruct them. Why, not, why doesn't God just use that burning bush thing again and just float around and talk to people? Right? The Bible itself is written by people. Now, I believe it is inspired by God, but God uses people to, to do his work. And so this idea of I did it or God did it, it's a false dichotomy, right? Like it creates this idea where they're in conflict, but they're really not. Right. And again, this is one of the realms where we treat mental health very different from physical health. Right. And one of the reasons yeah. is because we imply a morality to mental health that we don't in physical health. Yeah. So Give an example of yeah, that. Let, let's play make-believe for just a second. Let's, let's pretend Anne breaks her arm. Poor Anne. She broke her arm, man. It stinks. How long should it be wise for her to not get some help or not see a doctor or to not take care of that? 
It'd be pretty unwise for her to just kind of take care of that And you just need itself. to deal with that on your own. Go pray about it some more. Uh, what, that'd be and kind of foolish advice, yeah, right? I mean, like if someone said to her, and your arm is kind of bent to the wrong direction, you probably need to pray more. Yeah. The other dynamic, imagine if some people are like, man, did you hear about Anne? Yeah. She broke her arm. I thought yeah. she was a Christian. Yeah, she's obviously not a Christian. I thought she had faith, but man, apparently her faith is just not where it needs to be. Right. We do not do this with physical health, but we do when it comes to mental health because we tie a morality to it. Right. So if someone gets migraines, if someone's body doesn't produce insulin, if, if, if someone's blood pressure is up, we do not tend to think of them as someone's like, yeah, man, I wonder, I wonder their where faith sitting. is yeah. lacking, or man, they didn't pray hard enough because we have attached something to the mental health world that's not in the physical health world. And I really do hope that conversations like this and places like Mountain can continue to uh, pull away that stigma because I think we can do better. Mm -hmm. Could just even like speak specifically about um, medication because this is sort of a hot button thing. I, yep. I've talked to Christians who are like, you know, I really don't want to do that because I feel like I'm altering my system and I need to just trust God for this. Um, now, I've not heard someone feel that way about like diabetes or something like that, but what would you say about that specifically, sure. the medication thing? Look, the reality is, is that psychology as a field in general sometimes gets a bad rap of just throwing pills at stuff. And to be fair, there's times where that reputation has been earned. But the reality is, is there are some people who need external structures and external help even to get to the work. A again, a quick example. Let's say that you were going to run a marathon and you twist your ankle really, really badly. Mm. Well, depending on what, it, you might be able to tape it up. You might this be able is to really alter. good news for me so far. If I were running a marathon like this, my ankle would be like, thank you, Lord. Yeah, I'm out. But, but let's say you still wanted to run, so oh, okay. we'll, we'll pretend okay. it's not you that twisted your ankle. Uh, no, you might be able to tape it up. You might be able to alter your running style a little bit to make it work. But let's say you break your ankle. Mm. There's no amount of effort you can put into it. There's no amount of can-do attitude. There's no amount of, like, pluckiness you can put into it that makes you able, you need an external help yeah. so that you can get there, whether it's a boot or a cast or whatever it is. Yeah. The reality is there are some people who are built in such a way or wired in such a way that they need the help to be able to do the work. Or right? experience some kind of trauma or injury. Yeah, absolutely. You know? yeah. Now look, the truth is that pills aren't skills, right? Like people still will need to develop skills, they'll still need to develop healthy patterns, but some people can't even get to the place where they can do the work, and there are times where it's completely appropriate for medication to be used in that place. Now I'm, look, I'm not saying you should be on medication, I don't even know you, but at a certain point what this is, I hope that you don't write it off as an impossibility, that there might need to be a structure so that you can do your work really Really, really well. And of course, the goal for all of it being to get back to the, your analogy, to get back to where I can run freely the yep. way I was meant to run. Absolutely. So I, I love that. So let's let's move on. Let's um. How how do I deal with my anxiety and my uh, my fear? A lot of people are feeling. I think anxiety is now officially like the number one issue for mm -hmm. women. Probably number two for men. We we see how it's gripping and paralyzing. Uh, people of all ages, young people especially. Help us with this one, Nick. How do I deal with some, what sort of general things you can say to us? Yeah, and, and I do think that the weight of the last couple of years, I think some people are really starting to kind of, like, we've been feeling it, but I think even for some people it's like, ugh, like, even now that we're getting back into the routines of things, we realize how much we may have been carrying along the way. And mm -hmm. if you're experiencing anxiety in the midst of that, one of the things I hope you can know is that you're not alone. And th this is something a lot of people struggle with. And one of our temptations when we're struggling with anxiety is to reach for a higher level of control, whether it's control of our environment, whether it's control of ourselves. And a lot of times the reason why that uh, level of control is increased is because we're trying to create a sense of safety around ourselves. Right. And 
the reality, though, is that sometimes what that does is that pushes us into a place where we're trying to control things we were never meant to control. It's like trying to lift up a boulder, and we can keep lifting and lifting and lifting, but we were never meant to carry that boulder, and it is exhausting. If you talk to someone who struggles with anxiety, they're almost always exhausted. Mm. And so like, let me give you an example of what maybe this looks like along the way, because what happens is, is that we need to get really, really clear on what we can control and what we can't control, what we are called to carry yeah. and what we're not called to carry. So let's, we, we had poor Anne break her arms. So let's, let's pick on John. Let's say John is in a real tough work situation. Boss is, is hard, really critical, hard to please. Uh, you know, a lot of his work, uh, workmates there, just really conflictual environment, just really an ugly environment to be a part of. And every day he stresses and worries and has anxiety about, What's the boss going to say? Is there going to be a fight? Is there going to be a conflict? Like, what am I going to do with it? So much so that when he wakes up in the morning, the anxiety of it just feels overwhelming. Well, let's say when it comes to what his boss is going to say to him, how his boss is going to treat him, whether his coworkers get along with each other. Does he have any control over any of that? No. No, not at all. But let's also say that maybe at some point in his life, he used to have a buddy that he would meet with, and it was really an important relationship, but... He's just been really busy and he hasn't done it. And he used to be a part of a small group that was a, kind of a part of his weekly rhythm, but with everything that's been going on, he kind of dropped off. And he used to love running, right? He's one of these people who just loved running, and he just hasn't anymore. Can he control those? Yeah. I would venture to say he could. But what happens is the more that we spend energy on what we cannot control, the less energy we'll have available for what we can. And so it is vitally important that we are crystal clear on what I can control and what I cannot control. Sometimes you might literally, physically write these things down in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your stress. Things I can control, the things I don't. Absolutely, because the work of a person of faith, the work of a Christian is to get really, really good at deciding what do I need to release to God because it was never mine to carry, mm. and what do I need to pray to God to help me carry and work through well because it is mine to carry. Mm. And if we get those things, those wires crossed, man, we can get ourselves in some really hard Spend all of our time trying to control what we can't and, and not paying attention to the things that we really can. Absolutely. Well, that's, Absolutely. that's such a good word, isn't it? We always, uh, when we think about anxiety and fear, we always love to call to mind um, that scripture out of Philippians 4. Let's put it on the screen. Let's read it together, shall we? Let's just put it up here. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Let's get it on the screen here. Let's read it together. Ready, everybody? Here we go. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. There's more. Here we go. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I just, uh, I, I think of that in light of what you're telling us about what we can control and what we can't control. You know, worry and lo- some of our anxiety comes when we say, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, and prayer, this is reminding us, is when we say, God, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? And I release to God which, that which I cannot control in order to focus on that which he's calling me to be responsible for. And I just say it's a beautiful, beautiful reminder for us. Let's, uh, let's move on to the next question. So a lot of people are paying more attention to each other and like I got to care for people who are hurting and, and whatever, but... but how, what about the balance between caring for others and our own self-care? How do I care for people and myself at the same 
time. What would yeah. you say about that? Yeah, and I think that's a very real tension. If we are followers of Jesus, then we are called to follow in his examples. And, and he, he loved and he served and he cared in a deeply sacrificial way. But what that can lead to if we're not careful is almost the pendulum swinging too far to the point where we're not even serving out of the right healthy motives. We may be serving out of guilt or obligation, so much so that we can get to the place that we aren't refilling ourselves and we're really burning ourselves out. When you see the life of Jesus, he served and he loved out of fullness. Like he had a full bucket. He made sure his bucket was full all the time. But what happens on a regular basis is that we can live in such a way where we keep hitting the withdrawal button, but we never make a deposit. Mm -hmm. And the truth is you cannot give away what you do not have. You cannot give away what you do not have. My son can ask me for a million dollars. He can hold his breath until he's blue in the face. I don't got it. Even if I wanted to give it to him, which I do not, I wouldn't have it. I can only give him what I actually have. And so if I want a healthy marriage, i got to have healthy in me. If I want to have a healthy relationship with my kids, i got a healthy in me. I cannot give away what I don't have. Sometimes I'll, I'll ask moms this, and no offense, moms, this is not necessarily the strongest suit in a lot of moms' lives. I'll ask them sometimes, what do you do? And the only reason you do it is because it is really healthy for you. Mm. It's not because you're doing it along the way. It's not because you're serving someone else while you're doing it. You're doing it because it's healthy for you. Mm. Right? There, there's this this uh, kind of foundational kind of part of the Bible where there's people that are kind of trying to trap Jesus a little bit. They're testing him a little bit. And what they do is they come to him and they say, Jesus, summarize all the Bible for me. Summarize the scriptures for me. And Jesus, being Jesus, has this elegant answer along the way. And these are verses that will be familiar to, to people at Mountain, the mountain walk kind of. And Jesus, what Jesus says is, you love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And then the second command is like it. You love others the way you love yourself. But what that verse means, if we're paying attention, is there has to be a healthy, appropriate way to love ourselves. Yeah, the love yourself part. Mm -hmm. if, if there's not an appropriate way to love ourselves, then that verse means nothing. Yeah, right. And the real truth is this. If we're being honest, some of you better not love people the way you love yourself. Because you'd have to love them a whole lot worse than you do right now because mm -hmm. you treat yourself poorly. Because you don't love yourself. You don't take care of yourself. You, you haven't put yourself in a position to pour back into your own life. Mm -hmm. And... My wife has been a part of a small group for a lot of years, right? The, this group of ladies have gotten together every week, and, and some ladies in and out different times, but a real core group for, for over a decade. And there's been times where when my kids were little, and it's, and it's small group, right, and my wife's leaving, like, but I want mommy to put me to bed. I want mommy to read me the story. I want mommy to, and it's like, at a certain point, we're like, no, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. This is really healthy for mom. Yeah. She needs this. It's important for her relationships. It's important for her faith. We want them to see her taking care of herself. Yeah. We want them to know from the earliest age that it is deeply appropriate for someone to invest back into their own health because so many of us didn't have examples of that. Mm -hmm. So many of us have not had the, 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 the modeling of what does it look like to take care of ourselves. And man, it is just deeply important that we pour back in because we can't give away what we don't have. Mm, that's powerful. And it's a great reminder of how to look to Jesus again. Like you said, he, he was always running off to go fishing with the guys or spend time at... Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house or eating a meal with somebody or taking time with the Father, you know, by himself to replenish that bucket. So what a great, great example. That's good. Nick, just quick quick aside here. What do you do? Uh, you're a caregiver, sure. so your bucket gets drained. What do you do to fill yourself? Yeah, I, 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 one of the things I have 
I've had to learn and grow in a little bit along the way is that, and this is no offense to anybody I have worked with, but I need to learn how to kind of close the folder at the end of a session because I can't carry all that with me at times and because that would be exhausting. And I'm trying to get back into the gym a little bit, pay attention to my physical health. And there's actually a, a couple guys and one guy specifically, and we have met almost every week for the last decade on Friday morning or Saturday morning. And we just have conversations, and sometimes they're deeply spiritual, and sometimes they are not deeply spiritual, but, but that relationship has been such a, a key and core relationship in my life of really making sure that I'm pouring back into myself. And, That's good. Yeah, and then I know you're also in a caring profession, so how do you do wrestling with this stuff? Um, you know, for a long time, I didn't do very well with it. I felt guilty, um, like if I wasn't working. It's like especially, you know, the people would think that I wasn't working hard. So that's a, that was a bad thing because I, I, I worked way, 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 way too much for a long time. But I've, I've, I'm learning. I'm still learning on this. But for me, it's all about tennis and pickleball and getting to Minnesota <laughs> and Carla time. And, mm. you know, if the Vikings win a game, I'm good for about three weeks. So <laughs> so there's some weeks where you're not really good. There's a lot of weeks like that, actually. <laughs> so, uh, okay, let's, let's, sh let's shift gears again. Um, Nick, uh, how do I make my marriage stronger? Yeah. Asking for a friend. Yeah, of course. Everyone asks for a friend. Yeah. Uh, the reality is, look, there's libraries of books written on this kind of stuff. So any answer I'm going to give is short and rudimentary. And Every now and then I'll work with a couple, and they won't say it kind of out loud, but the implication is like, hey, how do we get some quick results here? Like, how do we, like, we kind of get some real forward progress? And I always have the same kind of answer along the way. And if you want to have kind of like a boost in your marriage, then one of the areas I really ask people to pay attention to is the areas of thankfulness, gratitude, and encouragement. Uh -huh. One of the stories I love telling about this is not the kind of story most people expect to hear from a marriage and family therapist. It's about Frederick the Great. Frederick the Great, right? So Frederick the Great, there he is right there. He's got, oh, of course, that's Frederick. Got them crazy eyes, right? Like, so Frederick the Great, he, he was a king of Prussia, which is modern-day Germany, back in the middle 1700s. And Frederick got the name Great because there was some military stuff he did and things like that. But one episode in the life, his life I think is really interesting is that he looked around his country at one point, and he realized they only had one real type of crop, and there had been some other famines in the area, and he was worried that they didn't, weren't diversified enough in their crops. So there was this brand new vegetable that they had learned about called the potato. Mm -hmm. So they learned about the potato, and they decide, you know what, let's start growing potatoes. It'll diversify our crop, keep us from famines a little bit. So he brought potatoes over, and he decided, like, you know what, I'm going to have everyone grow some potatoes on their farm. And the farmers wouldn't do it. They refused. They refused. It. This is our ancestral land. We are not going to grow potatoes. And so he ups the stakes. And he says, all right, if you don't grow potatoes, it is now punishable by death. And there's, there's historical records of people being executed for not growing potatoes. And Frederick here, he shows a little bit of his, his intelligence here. He steps back and he realizes, this is not working. This is not going the way I had planned it to. So he changes the law. And here's the new law. Potatoes are now a royal vegetable, only to be grown in the royal gardens by the royal family, only allowed to be eaten by the royals. Right? That's the only people who are allowed to grow this potato. And so he creates six or seven royal farms around the area, and he puts guards around those farms, and he tells the guards to not be very good at their jobs. And it turns out that farmers realize, you know, anything worth garden might be worth stealing. And so the peasants start breaking into the farms. They start stealing these potatoes. They start planting them secretly on the corners of their land. And in the course of a generation, about 25% of the farmland was growing potatoes. And I'll ask you, what changed? Mm -hmm. What changed? Right, so it is a dirty vegetable that I refuse to grow. 
We actually, we actually have a painting of him overseeing, forcing people to grow them right here. Like, it's a dirty vegetable I refuse to grow. Not even our dogs will eat this thing. I'm willing to die to not grow it. Or on the other side, it's a royal vegetable. I'm willing to risk my life to steal. It turns out we treat things the way we see things. Mm. Or we treat things the way we see them. And what happens in the course of our marriages and over time is that we can start seeing each other a little bit more like the dirty vegetable as opposed to a royal vegetable. We stop sacrificing. We stop giving the gratitudes. We stop expressing the appreciations. How we see a thing determines how we treat a thing. Right? It's what Frederick learned is that if you can make people see it as valuable, they will treat it as valuable. And yet in the course of a relationship, that can just slip right off the map. One, one assignment I will give people sometime is to express one specific gratitude to each other every day. Now it's one. I'm not necessarily setting the bar super high on this one here. But why? Why do you need to have one specific gratitude? Because it forces you to have to look for it. It forces you to have to pay attention to it. Right. It forces you to keep your eyes open. What are the good stuff that I can celebrate? What are the good things I can communicate? What are the things that I can speak into my relationship? And I think if we can do this well, if we can offer encouragement, if we can offer thanksgiving, I think what we can do is we can completely renovate the environments of our household and the environments of our families. Mm. How amazing would it be if the families that are hearing me right now, they were characterized by their encouragement, they were characterized by their thanksgiving and their appreciation. If your kids got a chance to see two parents love each other in such a concrete and tangible way. Wow. One specific expression of gratitude in your key relationship every day. Wow, what a game changer that would be. Yeah, from, from uh, dirty potatoes to royal potatoes. I think we're going to remember that one. Mm -hmm. um, it's certainly true in my own life, in my own marriage with Carla. Um, there's nothing that picks me up like hearing her be grateful for me. Mm -hmm. I think it speaks to, you know, I, oh, she respects me. She understands me. She noticed. And, and, it, and then the Bible talks about outdoing one another in love. It in turn brings me back to the table with all kinds of extra eagerness and desire to do the same for her. So that's great, great word. All right, Nick, we got time just for a quick hitter here. Say something that we can do to help kids right now. It's a yep. tough time for kids. What's something we can do to help? It is, and, and look, the reality is, is that almost every kid that I've worked with has some expression of wondering if they feel loved, wondering if they are adequate, wondering if they're good enough. And the reality is that kids catch a lot of negatives. There's a lot of people that catch them doing things wrong or want to correct them. And man, I... It's a rare parent that really wants to go out of their way to catch kids doing good and offer some of those same encouragements to them. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is that I think kids have a lot of burdens, and sometimes we can accidentally downplay them. Right? I mean, sometimes I'll hear parents say things, even well-meaning, where it's like, it's just a soccer game. It's not the end of the world. Or something. It's your first girlfriend when you're 14, you're probably not going to marry her anyhow. It's not that big of a deal. And anyone who says that, I think, forgets what it's like when that is your world. And that is a big deal. When, and when you downplay or downgrade someone's experiences, it tends to minimize it. And so one of the places that I hope we can all do a really good job at is expressing really a high level of grace, high level of kindness, as opposed to, I don't know, just offering pressure or just giving lectures because they don't tend to work anyhow. Right. And for our kids, especially as they grow older, so because you know, we don't want to turn them into these, you know, everyone gets a trophy kind of kids, and it's not all just affirming. So, so to help them grow resilience and to help them adult or head, to, head toward adulthood, what would you say there on the flip side yeah. of that? Yeah, and absolutely. Look, the idea is not that there's no boundaries. Of course there needs to be boundaries, and there needs to be limits, and there needs to be uh, ideas of, of what is right and what is wrong. 
But what happens is, is that we can sometimes create a dynamic where we have developed a kid that might have some level of obedience, but we've developed a robot. They do not critically evaluate their own thoughts. They're not critically evaluating their own emotions. They just do what we have told them to do. Right. Yeah. Now, specifically, once you get to the middle school age and up, one of the things I would challenge parents to consider is to ask questions with humility as opposed to giving a lecture. Mm. Right. So let's say you have a kid and they, they bomb a test. The reality, they know they failed. We tend to be keenly aware of our failures. I wonder, instead of giving a lecture on it, what would it be like to be like, man, that stinks. So what happened? What, what do you think you can do different next time? Mm. Like, what part of your studying was effective and which part didn't work at all? What do you want to do moving forward? So what you're doing is you're encouraging them to continue to wrestle with what they think, what they're experiencing, about what they believe, to own their own steps in their own life, as opposed to just really being able to only follow the paint-by-numbers that we've set in front of them. Wow. Asking questions. So good. So good. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's toss out one more, because I think uh, more and more of us are dealing with with loss and grief and not quite sure always what to do with that. So how do I deal with loss and grief? Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. One of the things I, I hope that we all realize is that grief is a universal experience. We all experience grief. Now, some of that grief is really sharp. Some of that grief has a name attached to it, whether it's a person who's passed, whether it's a relationship that's ended. Some grief's a little bit more vague. Interestingly, sometimes we can even have grief about generally good things. I mean, some parents are probably sending their kids off to college and they have this empty nest, and there is a grief that is associated with that. We, we tend to experience grief when we've transitioned over a threshold and it doesn't feel like we can go back from it. Mm -hmm. And this experience of grief sometimes can tempt us into playing make-believe about what we're experiencing again. Because what we can lean into is all the shoulds. How should I be feeling? How should I be reacting? And if I'm being perfectly blunt, I think sometimes Christians can struggle with this more than anyone else. The idea is like, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I, I shouldn't feel sad, I shouldn't feel grief, I shouldn't feel down. And, and it just piles on to where people are not deeply and authentically honest about what is. What actually is the What are they actually experiencing? Yeah. Because what happens is you can't do anything with a should. But when you get deeply honest with what is, what are you experiencing, what are you feeling, well, then there can be next steps. And then you can be in a position to face it. Not all the shoulds, but face what is actually and really there. Hmm. The reality is, is that some of us will try to bury it. Some of us will try to package it all up, stick it in a container, well, and bury easier. it. it's easier. I don't have to feel like I'm dealing with it, and I just stuff it. Yeah, except here's the hard part. Humans are terrible containment vessels. We leak. We leak. If you out. bury it, it's going to come out at some point. Mm -hmm. It might not come out where you expect it to. Maybe it comes out in your relationships. Maybe it comes out in how you view yourself. Maybe it comes out in some of the mental and emotional stuff that can be really, really intense. We have to face things with honesty. Right? Even Jesus, when he, he didn't come for the healthy or the people who think they're healthy. He came for the sick. He came for people who were honest mm -hmm. with what they're experiencing, and they needed that next step. The other part is I hope that you will surround yourself, if you're going through grief, with people who care about you. Right? Whether it's small group, whether it's your friends, like the community people. And I hope that you let the people who love you, mm. love you. Let the people care about you. It is so easy to not be real. And because we're not real, we're not allowing and inviting the people who could love us to be able to love us well. Mm. Act. Don't be afraid to act how we really are rather than how we think we're supposed to act. Yeah. That's, that's a good word. You know, uh, uh, Psalm 34, I think it's verse uh, 18, and we love to look at it. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Mm -hmm. 
and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And it just reminds us that if you never say, oh, I, I'm actually doing pretty well, you actually are keeping God at arm's length because he's only really close to the brokenhearted and those whose spirits you're willing to say, I'm, I'm, I need you, God. But it also reminds us how often God comes to us personally, but then how many times he comes to us through other people. And I love that you said that. And it's why we talk so much about holding on to one another at this place and why we talk about groups, um, why, why we talk about how important that is. Every area of your life gets better when you are connected to some other life-giving people. I mean, the data is overwhelming. Your spiritual life, your mental health, your physical life, everything gets better when you have healthy relationships in your life. And so, in fact, um, let me just take you to our website. Um, well, let me do that in a minute. Let me mention something else about gr loss and grief before we close here. Um, there's a bunch of resources as a church. We want to just kind of just say, hey, these are always here, and maybe now's the time when you need to tap into some of these things, not just maybe getting in a group. Maybe that's a big step for some of us and an important one. But also I want to tell you about something that's brand new. You know, every year around here in December, we have this really special time where we, we kind of acknowledge those of us who've lost someone in our lives or if we're dealing with a, a, some grief of someone that was close to us. And we do that in December. And, and we've created a new kind of expanded service. It's called the We Remember Tribute Service. And it's coming December 13. I want to tell you about it right now. And I encourage you to come. Invite whoever you want to and, and invite you to do that. That's coming up. But, but if you go to the website, mountaincc.org, that's our website, backslash help. Just type in the word help. It'll take you to a whole cache of, of great resources and things like Grief Share, where you can get in the room with some other people who really do understand a lot of what you're going through. Or Divorce Care, because that can be a source of grief and loss that, sure. that really we need some help with. Uh, celebrate Recovery. There's some peer coaching things we're doing right now that are awesome that you could just maybe tap into to have some people walk alongside you and what you're going through right now. Um, or if you need help finding a counselor like Nick or someone else, we, we will help you do that. So, And we just got to say, too, I know this is on Nick's heart. If, if, if you find yourself kind of with your thoughts getting darker and you're feeling like, I wonder if I can trust myself with myself, you know, your thoughts are drifting in a dangerous direction, please hear me. Um, get some help, all right? God loves you. Um, you are not alone. And there is a purpose and a path uh, and hope for your life, even if you feel like you can't see it or feel it or even believe it right now. There's, there's life on the other side of this. But you might need some help, and you probably really do. So I'm going to put another number on the screen. 988 is a, is a relatively new suicide and crisis lifeline. 988, you might want to take a picture of that or whatever. Get it in your phone or give it to somebody. So. Let me just wrap with this. I was thinking about this. Um, John 14, Jesus says, I want to give you my peace. Peace kind of representing that flourishing you're talking about, Nick. And, and you know, he talks about perfect peace and how it's lasting peace and real peace. And then, but someone pointed out to me, you know when he said that? John 14. He said it on the night before his suffering. Like in the middle of the worst pain and horrible junk he could ever go through is when he's talking about his peace and how he's willing and ready to share it. And I wonder if it's because it's a reminder that real peace isn't like the absence of our problems. It's the presence of God. And that's the key to the peace that Jesus is offering and to the ultimate health. So we've obviously been advocating for things like, you know, you might need to see a counselor, you might need to get some help, and then those are good things. But in and of themselves, 
Going to a counselor by itself is not going to lead you to the peace. Going to church, as much as we think that could be an important thing, getting in a group, as, as valuable as that is, by itself is not going to lead you to the peace which can only really be found in Christ. And then in Christ, we can bring all of our stuff, whether we're on top of the mountain or really in a bad place, all of it we bring to Christ, and He can help us see then those things that we surrender to Him, and then He helps us take steps forward in, in the other areas that, that uh, we can find to, to flourish the way He really meant us to be. So, man, uh, Nick, thank you for having that heart of... Uh, Jesus behind it all, but helping us see so much. You've been a big help. Thanks for all the Christian counselors and all that you do and that you do. And thank you for helping us here. Can we show our appreciation to Nick for, for coming and being with us today? Appreciate it a lot, man. All right. Let's pray together. Uh, God, we, we thank you for, for time just to think about uh, how, to, how to get healthy. And Nick's right, man. Uh, just left to ourselves, we don't just automatically get better. We, we need to do something sometimes. So, so help us to, to, whether it's giving up control over things that we don't have control over or, or just being more grateful, expressing gratitude in our marriages or, or being characterized by encouragement and affirmation to our kids or, or allowing you to really meet us in our grief and being honest about that so we can flourish and find your peace, Lord. We pray for your help. We love you and we thank you. We thank you for your wisdom in these things. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.